What's my Christian flirting advice? Is it selfish or smart to move out of blue states and into red states? Is sharing the gospel some form of evil colonization? We will answer all of these questions and more on today's episode of Relatable, which is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. That's American meat delivered right to your front door. Use promo code Allie for a discount at checkout. GoodRanchers.com code Allie. GoodRanchers.com code Allie. Right, guys, welcome to Relatable. Thanks for watching slash listening. We're going to get into some of your questions today. A lot of really interesting questions. Most of them have to do with theology, the Bible, but some of them are just fun. I like to try to switch it up as much as I can. Let's get right into it. Okay, this was one I had to look up because I had never heard this before, but this is a question of why does the Bible include unicorns thoughts on unicorns in scripture just rhinos okay interesting i had never heard this before obviously unicorns are typically seen as these fantastical animals that don't exist in real life and have never really existed and so i looked this up one of my favorite resources is gotquestions.org seems really solid they've answered almost like a million questions. Honestly, they should sponsor this podcast. But uh, I have their Got Questions app. And so I'm like always asking questions to Got Questions. And even if it's not an infallible resource, obviously, but it does have all of the references. It has books that they recommend, but it also has scripture references to back up what they're saying. So I read their answer on this. So I'm just going to go with what they said. In several passages, List passages in Numbers, Deuteronomy, Job, Psalm, Isaiah. Uh, the King James Version of the Bible mentions a unicorn. The original Hebrew is the word Ram, which was translated monokeros in the uh, Septuagint and unicornies in the Latin Vulgate. Uh, uh, later versions use the phrase wild ox. The original Hebrew word basically means beast with a horn. One possible interpretation is the rhinoceros. But since the Hebrew Tauafa in numbers refers to more than one horn, it's likely the translators uh, use creative license to infer a wild and powerful but recognizable uh, animal for their versions. So uh, the ram is believed to refer to our uh uh, a, a rocks or urus, large cattle which roamed Europe and Asia in ancient times. They stood over six feet tall and were ancestors of domestic cattle. They became extinct in the 1600s. In the Bible, the wild ox usually refers to someone with great power. In Numbers 23, 22 and 24, 8, God compares his own strength to that of a wild ox. In Psalm 22, 21, David imagines his enemies as wild oxen. The bull represented uh, several different deities, including Baal, Moloch, Egyptian, Apis, uh, the Israelites tried to adopt these beliefs when they made the golden calf. So we don't know exactly if it's a unicorn, if it's some kind of cattle that went extinct. Um, we just don't know. So I don't really have any necessarily deep or theological thoughts on that. But it is interesting. It reminds me of the debate about the dinosaurs. Were they really dinosaurs? Were they just really big beasts that have since gone extinct that weren't like the dinosaurs that we see paleontologists come up with today? We're not really sure. Next question, this is an interesting one, is sending missionaries around the world colonizing. Now, there's an assumption in this question, and I'm not sure if the questioner realizes the assumption that 
is clear to me uh, in this question, and that is that colonizing is always bad. It's always evil. It's unbiblical. And so therefore, I guess the person who is saying that sharing the gospel is colonizing is saying that we shouldn't. We shouldn't go and share the gospel because that is a form of colonization, which is always evil. First of all, um, while colonialism does have some violent and bad parts of it, that doesn't mean that going and conquering a nation and um, changing the culture there is necessarily always unbiblical or wrong. Obviously, we see God-ordained conquest uh, several times in the Old Testament. I'm not saying that that is the basis for all conquest in the modern world or in the modern West. But look, all major nations, all developed nations have engaged in some kind of imperialism and some kind of colonialism. I think that there probably have been good historical examples and bad historical examples of both, but this idea that it's always objectively evil and unbiblical, I don't think that there's a good basis for that. But here's what I would say. I would go to Matthew 28. We've talked about this before. It was pointed out to me in a sermon at church, actually, and I hadn't thought about it like this, that when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Really, in if you look at the um, original text, all people groups, all ethnos, all ethnic groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in that, we read a few things. But two of the things that we see is that we have both the right and responsibility, the right and responsibility to share the gospel to people of all people groups. Now, it's not the same thing as colonization. Colonization, again, includes not just sharing of the gospel and the conversion through the Holy Spirit of Christians, but also changing the culture, changing the country in general, trying to conform it to that of those who are doing the conquering. Obviously, like we had the 13 colonies uh, in the United States. And so that's a form of uh, colonialism. That's a form of colonization. So it's not just in sharing the gospel. That's not the only characteristic of colonizing. And there are many missionaries who go share the gospel that are not colonizing these nations. And I would say that that is part of the Christian tradition, actually, that when you go into China and share the gospel or you go into wherever it is um, and share the gospel, you are actually not trying to make those people more American or more Western or more European. You're not trying to tell them to abandon all of their food and all of their cultural preferences and all of their traditions and familial, um, you know, cultural familial uh, familial ties or things like that. You are not trying to conform them to the likeness of the Western American man. You are trying to conform them through the Holy Spirit to the image and the likeness of Christ. And so it is it is godly for a person to embrace his um culture to love his country to be fully whatever it is indian or french or zimbabwean and be a zimbabwean christian or be a christian zimbabwean rather be a christian kenyan be a christian chinese person be uh, a christian indian a christian south korean like all of those things are good retaining the um, the ethnicity or retaining some of the traditions, some of them, some of them 
are probably, you know, in some cases sinful when they're tied to a religion that is not Christian. Um, but retaining those things while fully submitting yourself to Christ, dying to your former self, becoming your new self in the image and likeness of Christ that is good and godly. So it is not, you're not always trying to colonize a place when you're going and sharing the gospel, but you have the right to do so. Like there are um, plenty of accounts now the so-called anti-racist Christian accounts that are saying you shouldn't go share the gospel. You don't have a right to do that. That's Christian white supremacy or whatever it is to go share the gospel. Look, those people do not have any authority. They have no authority, zero, zilch. They're also dumb and they're not Christians because they don't believe in Jesus's authority. They don't believe in the Great Commission, which is the crux of Christianity, one of the coordinates, one of the calls of Christianity, going and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Trinity. Jesus, who has all of the authority, he says, in heaven and on earth, tells us to do that, all authority. So his authority supersedes, transcends any authority of any Black Coffee with White Friends Instagram account or whatever it is, or any progressive so-called Christian influencer that tells you that sharing the gospel is racist and wrong. He has more authority than any government, than any constitution, than any law, than any policy, like any cultural, social change. He has more authority than all of those things, and we ultimately answer to him. Above all things, and he tells us, this God with all the authority in the universe, he tells us to go therefore and make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So that is my answer to that. Every Life is a pro-life diaper company. Now you might be thinking, well, isn't every diaper company pro-life because they're pro-baby? Unfortunately, no. Like most companies in this country, even diaper companies support abortion causes, abortion uh, organizations in the name of women's rights. It's really disgusting and really sad, but we don't want to be a part of that. So go ahead, switch to Every Life, get your diapers from a pro-life company and they're great diapers. They're really high quality. They're made without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And they also have something called a buy for a cause bundle. Uh, so if you buy one of these bundles, you are supporting families in need by sending them diapers and wipes from Every Life. This can be critical for families who are in need who have chosen life for their babies. So go to everylife.com, use code ALLY10 for 10% off your order of diapers and wipes. everylife.com, code ALLY10, everylife.com, code ALLY10. Would I rather spend a week with Klaus Schwab on a beach, <laughs> okay, <laughs> or live in Antarctica for one year? A week with Klaus Schwab. If you don't know who Klaus Schwab is, he is the villainous head of the World Economic Forum. He has terrible, deleterious, destructive ideas about how we should reorder the world to become basically um, an oligarchy under the thumb of the elite. He would be a part of that elite ruling class in the name of saving the climate, in the name of equity and equality and sustainability. And so, I mean, he's literally suggested things like blocking out the sun 
for a period of time. That sounds apocalyptic. Um, so that we could, you know, save the planet. It's really scary. And all of these people are very intent on depopulation. Um, so would I rather, would I spend a week with Klaus Schwab on a beach or live in Antarctica for one year? Is Klaus Schwab going to kill me? If he's not going to kill me, I mean, we'd probably get some good digs. Like, I doubt that he stays at some, like, hut that he found on Verbo. I bet that he probably has his own island. He probably has his own mansion. Would he leave me alone and I could just do what I want to do just for a week and I'm, I'm guaranteed a safe return? And, you know, if we got stranded or something, I feel like people will come looking for Klaus Schwab. So there's some safety there. I bet he has some good security. So if he's not going to kill me, if I don't need to spend time, like spend a whole lot of time with him, if I can share the gospel with Klaus Schwab, try to change his mind, then... Yeah, I would rather do that. Live in Antarctica for an entire year, like a year away from my family in the freezing cold. I don't do cold well. So I'm going to say a week with Klaus Schwab on a beach, as long as it's not like weird, you know? Um, let's see. Is moving out of blue states into red states selfish or protective? I think this is a great, great, insightful question. So I have advocated in the past for moving your family to a red state. Like, don't deal with the system anymore. I, I can't say, though, that that is a rule for everyone. I, I don't know that that is, I can't prescribe that to every person, every family, in every situation. There is the belief that, look, there needs to be light in a darkness. There needs to be some modicum of sanity in places like Washington and Oregon and California. And so some people have to stay to hold down the fort. And I get that. I do. I don't think it's working very well right now. And that's not because of the lack of effort on the side of sanity, it's just because the other side is so insanely powerful, has so much corporate backing, institutional backing, federal government backing, so much money behind them. I mean, especially in a state like California, you have the whole entertainment industry hoisting up one side of the aisle. And so I do also believe that you, I, while I understand the light and the darkness, um, side. And uh, like the people there, gosh, the conservative Christians I know in those states are just so strong. They're so solid that I get it. Like, I'm like, I want you to stay there. Part of me wants you to stay there. But also I, I do think for some families, you have to be realistic. You have to be realistic about what your role is. Like, what is your primary role? Is it to change the direction of your state or is it to steward your resources well and your parenting responsibility well? Some people have been able to homeschool and send their kids to a solid, you know, church-based biblical uh, Christian school in some of these blue states, but some people don't have that option. And so if you have the option of going to a school in uh, Oregon or Washington or Massachusetts or something like that, where they are literally telling your kindergartner that they can be any gender they want to be, um, where you can't even defend yourself in places like New York for fear of going to prison over that. And you feel like you really have to protect your family, do it as best for your family, especially you men, you husbands out there thinking about how to lead your family well. How do you love your wife as Christ loved the church? How do you make sure that you are caring for your children in the most responsible and godliest way possible? Like I understand also why you would want to leave because your primary responsibility is not to change the direction of the state. Your primary responsibility is to be a godly and strong husband and dad. 
So I can't tell you that it looks one way, as in that means leaving or that means staying. Um, If it were up to me, like if my husband and I were in that situation, we would move. We we would move because um, it's just not an environment I want to be around. I don't want to I don't want to pay tax dollars in a state that is becoming a refuge for kids who want to leave their home so they can switch sex. I don't want to pay. I don't want to pay tax dollars to a state that is going to be a sanctuary for killing your baby through nine months. So I, I will say that it is not wrong to be protective of your family, to put the priorities and needs and safety and security of your family and your family's well-being before the future of a state. I, I don't think that that's wrong. I don't think that that's I'm selfish in the bad sense. Um, You have been given your family to steward. It is okay to love your family more than you love some other family. It's okay to love your family more than you love your state. That's okay. It's I understand you've got a calling. You've got a responsibility to stay somewhere. Like I support you. More power to you. Thank God for you. But I don't think that you should feel guilty for moving your family where is best for them, where you can best steward your resources and best protect them and raise them in a godly way. Okay, y'all, I'm so excited to tell you about Holy Pals. This is a Christian family business that makes kids' pajamas with cute artistic renderings of particular Bible stories on them. So, for example, we've got the Easter Holy Pals pajamas, and they have the empty tomb on there, the angel on there, really, really cute depictions of these biblical stories. They've got their Christmas print out right now, all different kinds. We've got David and Goliath. I mean, such a cute way to literally wrap your kids in the Word of God and to teach them about the gospel through the cute patterns that they're wearing on their pajamas. So check them out. You can go to holypals.com or you can check them out on Instagram, Inc. is their handle. If you use code Allie, A-L-L-I, at checkout, you will get a discount on your order. So go to holypals.com, use code Allie for that discount, holypals.com, code Allie. Let's see, next question. What's my favorite TV show? Oh, I'm gonna be boring and say The Office. I mean, I, th- my husband and I like TV. We don't watch like a bunch of TV or a bunch of new TV. Sometimes we'll get into a new series or a series at least that's new for us. I've seen most of the classic TV series. We like TV. We like culture. We like the cinema. We like these things. Um, and so we do try to watch things that people are talking about as long as they're good. I don't waste my time. I won't like finish a series just to finish it. If it's not good, then I won't finish it. But just overall ranking, I would say The Office. It reminds us of a better time when humor was actually funny and you could make fun of things and make fun of people. And I think we actually all got along way better when we all didn't take ourselves and our stated identities so seriously. And it's just, it literally, as many times as I've seen every episode of The Office, it can still make me literally laugh out loud. Um, We also like Parks and Rec. I did not like Parks and Rec at first because it's so hokey and cheesy compared to The Office, but the storylines and the characters, I would say, are like more lovable and more, I don't know, just more fun, and you can get into them a little bit more than The Office. Uh, We also went through like a big Curb Your Enthusiasm stage 
Um, I'm not like touting the morality of Larry David, but uh, we also laughed out loud a lot at that series, watched all those episodes. Um, but then also, and I would not recommend this, I would say I actually regret watching this series, but it is understandable why it is so incredibly popular, why it has gotten as many accolades as it has, why it like has the place in our culture that it does, and that's The Sopranos. And I regret it because it was so dark and so violent, kind of like House of Cards. We watched House of Cards when we first got married too. Like there's just nothing really redemptive about it. Now, I I guess I'm glad that I like understand cultural references that include like the Sopranos in it, but it's it was so I remember just being like fearful and sad during that time in my life. This was before I had kids when I was watching it like every night before I would go to bed. And I was like, this is so evil. So I wouldn't this. There's nothing like lovely or pure about the Sopranos, but it's good. Like I enjoyed it in that way. But I haven't watched anything dark and violent since then, since I don't know, probably five years just because I'm like, wow. Well, that's not true. I've probably watched a couple things, but after I do, I always regret it. Like I always regret watching series that just make me sad and scared. And I think the Lord does want us to protect us from that. So I should be more consistently disciplined on that kind of thing. Um, let's see. Favorite jewelry brands. Well, hey, of course, Range Leather. They advertise on this podcast. They've got a lot of great jewelry. I think I've got a promo code or something, Allie, that'll get you a discount. Um, I'm, I'm not really, other than that, though, I'm not really a jewelry gal. I'm, I'm not really a jewelry gal. I don't, like, I'm not really into big designers. I don't like a lot of jewelry. I like really simple gold jewelry. I And I like classic style. Like, I love my wedding ring or my engagement ring and my wedding ring that I got, you know, however many years ago it was that I got engaged, I guess eight years at this point. And I still love it because I just love classic stuff that you can love and wear forever. And so I'm just not really not really a neck, uh, necklace or earring girl. I do have my simple earrings on. I think these were, I got them at like a $10 gift exchange um, a few years ago at a Christmas party. So sorry, I don't really have a whole lot of, whole lot of help for you there. Um, let's see. Christian flirting advice. <laughs> Winky face. Christian flirting advice. Hmm, hmm, hmm. I've been out of the game for a while. So let me think back. I did do my fair share of flirting. That's how I reeled in my husband because he's on the quieter side and I am on the more verbose side and the more outgoing side. And so to some people, and this is not me tooting my own horn because this is just me saying how it was when I met my husband and all of that. For some people, especially the like gregarious kind of people that are social and outgoing, it comes easy. It comes more easily for us. I don't have to like, I still don't have to think about, ooh, what do I talk about with this person? This is so awkward. I always, I, it, it's, I always just, I am genuinely curious about people. And so I ask questions about them. And if you are attracted to someone like I was my husband, then that can turn into like a healthy form of flirtation. I think we think of flirtation as like this, we're trying to get someone to lust after us, or we're trying to get someone to look at us or think of us in, you know, some kind of inappropriate way. And while it can be that, that's not effective Christian flirting. I think the best way in my experience to flirt with someone in a way that is 
you know, good and virtuous and all of these things is to express interest in their life, genuine interest. Ask them questions. People love, everyone loves to talk about themselves. They like usually to talk about their family. They like to talk about their interests. Be genuinely curious about the things that they love, about the things that they're curious about. You don't have to pepper them with questions because I have also been in that experience where, not in a flirting way, but where the other person, it usually happens when the other person is in like ministry or counseling or something, you're trying to talk to them and they like don't even let you finish your answer before they ask you the next question. That can be annoying and it kind of feels like they're not even seeing you. They're just, this is just what they do. So I'm not talking about an interrogation, the fifth degree or anything like that, but a conversation that starts with genuine curiosity and encouragement. And people like to be built up in a real way. So if he tells you, you know, I really like such and such book saying, wow, that's so cool that you like that genre or whatever. I'm going to check that out. That is one great thing that you can do. Now, back in the day, I'm going to age myself here. I'm an old, an old millennial at the age of 31. When there was um, my husband, when I, I, so when he would say like what kind of music he likes and I would talk about what kind of music I like, I burned a CD. Whoa, do we even have CD players anymore? I don't know. I think most cars don't even come with CD players anymore. But I burned him a CD and we would listen to that and it had like Third Eye Blind on there. It had like some nostalgic stuff like a dashboard confessional and things. And we would like sing to that in the car. That's how my husband, my husband and I met working out at a gym, not like a lifetime fitness. It was like a smaller boutique kind of CrossFit type place. And we met there and we just, started talking. We were in the same classes together. I'm sure that we thought that the other one was cute and we started chatting. And then we just spent like weeks chatting outside, like standing up outside, like in the parking lot until from like 6.30 when the workout class would end until like 10.30 at night, skipping dinner. And we would just talk and talk and talk. And I just knew that I was going to marry him. I knew it like a week into it. I just clicked with him and what everyone always said, like when you know, you know, finally made sense to me before it didn't. It didn't make any sense because I just, I, I didn't understand that feeling that when I met my husband, I was like, oh, that's actually true. When you know, you know, I just feel it in my bones. And it was true. And so, but that was how I flirted. Like we didn't even go on a date there for a little while. We would just talk. We didn't text or things like that. We would just talk at the gym and it was just expressing interest in one another. And if he liked something, I would, you know, go read that book or listen to that music or watch that show and then go back and talk to him about it. I remember my smoothest move was remembering his birthday when he had barely mentioned it. And I knew that I was going to see him that day at the gym and I wished him happy 24th birthday on Monday, October 19th of 2014. And I was like, he's so impressed that I remembered his birthday and he was. And he was like, wow. I'm going to wife her up and she's going to have my babies one day. And here we go. Here we are. So that's the best advice that I can give. Um, Express interest in them, genuine interest, and then take up the interest that they have and show your interest in that. It should be reciprocal too. You shouldn't feel like you're the only one doing that. If you're the only one expressing curiosity, then he's probably got an ego problem. He might not even be interested in you. He just wants the affirmation. That ain't it. 
All right, another break to tell you guys about Jace Medical. Jace Medical is the only service in the U.S. that prepares you for medical emergencies with antibiotics and the prescription medications that you take on a daily basis. So should something happen to the supply chain, say for whatever reason, you don't have access to your prescription medications like you normally do, or you don't have access to the antibiotics that you need in an emergency situation, you should have an emergency stash of that. And through Jace Medical, you can get a year supply of the daily medications that you take, your spouse takes, your children take, just in case you need it. You can also get an emergency stash of antibiotics, which is obviously very important if for whatever the future holds, for whatever reason uh, we find in the future we don't have access to these things, you don't have to worry about that. It's just a great way to take care of your family. It's a great way to give you peace of mind. Hopefully you'll never need to go into this emergency stash, but it's always better to be safe than sorry, especially when it comes to our children's health. So go to jacemedical.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's jacemedical.com. Code Allie. jacemedical.com. Code Allie. Are Christian prophets false teachers? Um, some, some are. It depends on what you mean by prophet. Uh, a prophet can be someone who just speaks the word of God and is able to decipher how the word of God uniquely applies to current circumstances or modernity. God has given them the gift of communication, of persuasiveness, of discernment, of insightfulness. So that could, that is um, forth-telling prophecy. So someone who understands the word of God in a very wise way, an applicable way, they're basing everything that they say and see on the word of God. So they could have a gift of prophecy. They have a gift of um, forth-telling, of telling you what the word of God says as it pertains to this modern culture. There are a lot of pastors and preachers like that today. And so um, then there are foretelling prophets, and that is, I predict that this thing will happen. I think you have to be really careful about the foretelling prophets, because look, if their prophecy does not come true, if they say this thing, which I saw this a lot during COVID, right? You probably saw this too. This thing is going to happen in September. I remember there was this one that was going around. Oh, I saw this army and this army. This is going to happen in September. And I'm already, I'm just naturally skeptical of that kind of stuff. Um, but I was like, oh, I could kind of see that happening. Russia and China and blah, blah, blah. I'm like piecing it together. Well, it didn't happen. If that person then says, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. I was wrong. I really meant November. This reminds me of Parks and Rec episode. There's this guy that does the same thing. But anyway, um, that person is not a prophet of God. They're not because a prophet of God is not wrong. Uh, first of all, they're basing their prophets or they're basing their prophecies on what we already know about scripture. And if their prophecy is from God, God is not going to be like September. Oh, I meant October. That's that's not how it works. A uh, foretelling prophecy, if it is from God, will come true. I won't say that that can never ever happen. I will say it is very, very rare. There is money to be made. There is attention to be gained. There are clicks to be garnered from the so-called foretelling prophets that are telling you based on current events, not even based on scripture, what they think will happen. If part of their prophecy comes true, but the rest of it doesn't, it's not of God. So yeah, I do think that a lot of them are false prophets. And um, I think that we have to be really, really careful about that as tempting as it can be 
to believe them. Now, there's a difference in predicting the future and saying, like, I probably do that on this podcast. I don't know what's going to happen, but I could see it going this direction or I bet this is going to happen, or this is how I think the election is going to play out. Of course, I mean, people do that. You're, it's deductive reasoning. It's, you know, discernment based on what you see now. But people who say, this is from God, I had a vision, I had a dream, I had a word come to me that this is going to happen, be very, very, very careful about that. Because like I said, there's a lot of money to be made from that. So here's what Second Peter 2 says about false prophets. But false prophets also arose among the people. This is verse one. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Wow, we've seen that. Like we have seen the um, frog in the kettle and it slowly is boiling and the frog doesn't realize it and never jumps out and dies. That happens with the destructive heresies that enter into our churches, whether it's social justice or LGBTQ, whatever, or prosperity gospel, um, will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, that master is capitalized, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed and in their greed. So there's money to be made. They will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. I would read that entire chapter if you can. Um, so false prophets, again, there is greed behind it. There is a um, basically just doing the will of Satan behind it too. And so we have this blessing, this immense privilege of having the word of God in front of us. So if you want to know what's going to happen, if you want to know whether something is true, go to the word of God. There are plenty of prophecies outlined there. And thankfully, ultimately, we know one thing that God is going to win, that one day there will be no more sin, there will be no more deceit, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sickness, that Jesus will rule in totality and perfect peace. And so I think a lot of times these prophecies can just give us a lot of anxiety. There's nothing that we can do to save them or prevent them. People may even use them to try to get you to vote a certain way. Look, we should vote and there's a reason to vote, you know, a particular way. You know, I believe that, but it shouldn't be based on these anxiety inducing prophecies that basically call into question whether or not God is really in control and puts this false prophet in the place of authority. And then of course you give them your time, your money and your clicks. Just don't do it. Be very, very careful. Go to the word of God if you want to know what his will is. All right. That's all I got time for today. We will see you back here soon. Okay, another sponsor for the day is Crowd Health. Crowd Health is not health insurance. It's much simpler and more efficient than health insurance. I probably don't have to explain to you if you have ever used health insurance how complicated it can be. It can make you feel worse than you did before. There are increasing deductibles, premiums, uh, the rate of claims denials are going up. Sometimes it can feel like you don't even have coverage at all. But CrowdHealth offers an alternative to that. It gives you the tools to negotiate and crowdfund your medical bills. All you have to do is pay a $50 membership fee to get access to services like telemedicine and bill negotiation. You join the crowd, a group of members just like you who want to help pay for each other's unexpected medical events. So that $50 a month gets you 
all of that. And so just opt out of the restrictive health insurance process. You don't have any doctor's networks with CrowdHealth either. They make it really, really easy for you. So go to crowdhealth.com, use code Allie at checkout. CrowdHealth is not insurance. Learn more at joincrowdhealth.com. That's joincrowdhealth.com, code Allie. Hey, Relatabells and Relatabros, if you could please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to Relatable, that would mean so much to us and it really does help the show. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do. Thanks. Thanks.